podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival dance community. I'm your host, Lindsay LaPointe. Onye Uzuzu is back this season sharing her ideas and beginnings of her new work, Space Carcasses. Space Carcasses is an interdisciplinary performance that juxtaposes, superimposes, and asserts the body's relationship to its built environment, particularly spaces that echo with Afro-diasporic forced migrations. You can hear a full interview with Onye from 2011 in our Season 1, Episode 2 podcast. Now we go to her most recent conversation with festival director Shoshona Courier. I'm super happy to be here today with Onye Zizu, who I've known for many years in Chicago and, and, and still. Um, I'm going to read some of Onye's bio, but we also want to encourage you uh, to go to Onye's website. You can do that while we talk so you can kind of see some of the images that we're, that we're talking about. Um, and it is Ozuzucancers.com. So O Z U Z U. O Z U Z Um And you can kind of pull up images from the shows that we talk about and things uh, spark your interest, pull out questions. Uh, so feel free to look at your phones. Amiga um, Zuzu is a performing artist, choreographer, administrator, educator, and researcher currently serving as the Dean of the College of the Arts at the University of Florida, Gatesville, Florida. University of Florida, Gatesville, Florida. Um, previously, she was Dean of the School of Fine and Performing Arts at Columbia College, Chicago. Her administrative work has sought to balance visionary and deliberate progress in the arenas of curricular, artistic, and systemic diversity, cultural relativity, cultural relativity collaboration, and interdisciplinarity. In that work, she's been a frequent collaborator with the People's Institute for Survival and Beyond. Onye has been presenting dance works since 1997. Based in the US, her work has been seen at venues such as Seattle Festival of Improvisational Dance, Ooh, I might mess up the Kaifek Festival de Toulouse, Dakar, Senegal, La Festival de Paris, Santiago Cuba, Listener Auditorium in Washington, D.C., McKenna Museum of African American Art in New Orleans, and Dance Gallery Lives in Los Nigeria, as well as in many anonymous site-specific locations. Um, and Onye is here this week uh, with collaborators to be introduced momentarily, uh, and is working on a project called Space Purposes, which uh, Bates Dance Festival is a co-commissioner uh, by a In the before times. Yeah. Yeah, because we did a, a phone call about it, like right in the beginning of pandemic, we had a big group phone call. And so, so this is a, a support mechanism uh, for a project that will um, be fully presented here in the summer of 24. Um, we hope. We hope it will. Um, <laughs> so, yes. So, welcome, Odie. Thank you so much, Sharon. Yeah. Good evening, everybody. Nice to see you. Thank you for coming. 
Um, I, always, I'm always, I was always one of those people that would be like, nobody's coming to my party. So thank you for coming. I appreciate all your smiling faces and um, definitely take seriously the invitation to, if you want to surf online and look at stuff while we talk, um, I'm totally into it. I'm, uh, I want to thank Bates Dance Festival, Shoni, the staff for hosting us, and it's, this is a huge luxury to be here. I love Bates. I've been here quite a few times, and there's something about the earth here that feeds dreams and bodies, and I, my body has changed many times in the studios and on the porches and walking across the lawns. So I'm really pleased and I feel blessed to be in the space with you all. This is very special ground that we're on together. Um, so I'm here just making a dance this time, which is crazy. And I have two of my collaborators who have been a part of my dance life for a long time. Um, Mikey Mestes. Uh, Mikey represents a fun range, Denver, Colorado. I met Mikey when he was a uh, dancer in some of my dance classes, and we, um, we, changed our, we changed our curriculum and our entrance requirements so that we could get Mikey in our grad program. He was one of the first non-ballet modern dancers to get an MFA at University of Colorado Boulder. As you can see, he is an official Breaker, he's an official b-boy, he's been doing it for, what, like four, three decades at least? 20 years, 20 years. Um, so you started late, I didn't know that. Um, and he is uh, living that b-boy funky monk life right now. Teaching, he's a technician, he's a nerd, nerd, nerd about movement, it's super hardcore, and I'm really excited to be working with him. We've known each other for 15 years now or something. Um, ben Lamar Gay is also here. Ben and I met um, at a space called uh, Constellation, Lynx Hall Constellation in Chicago, which is a beautiful experimental music and dance space. And we, brought, we were brought together by a couple of curators that, were, that asked a composer and a dancer to respond to a 1960 composition by Charles Mingus called Black Saint and the Sinner Lady. And um, Ben was playing cornet, and I was the choreographer, and we've been adding to the library of dope shit ever since. <laughs> um, so you'll hear more from them as we get into the conversation. Um, thank you guys for being here. Uh, so we were just talking about uh, length of process. And so this project that you're working on now, Space Carcasses, has been in process and in, in ideation for a while. And also, sources material and, and process and, and all sorts of elements back to two previous projects, um, Technology of the Circle and Project Tool. And do you want to talk a little bit about those two projects and then how they kind of feed into the beginnings of this? Thank you. Um, yeah, so I feel like Space Carcasses is the third. I think I'm starting to understand now that it's going to be the third of this little series of questions that my body has been um, seeking to answer. About 14 years ago, I had just had my third baby and I went into the studio to make a dance like I normally would. Like I would get up there and I'd get in the groove and movement would start pouring out of my body and then I would be, I'd turn around and I'd be like, what did I do? And the dancers would have some version of it and then we'd all collapse, you know, and we would make this movement and we'd remember the movement and then we'd like form the movement into a performance. 
And I put that, this is my third baby. My first two, they would sit on the side and they were perfectly content to just watch rehearsal. And this baby was like, oh no, you're not gonna leave me over there. I am in it. And so I had to, that was kind of like the first question I had to solve, like how do I make a dance when the baby won't let me dance? How do I, um, and so we had to start, we had to start engaging with one another, the dancers, we all had to start engaging with one another and we ended up creating this process of improvising and all of us were improvisers in various forms, salsa, Aikido, contact improvisation, um, whatever modern dance, uh, concert dance improvisation, there were breakers, there were African dancers, there were house dancers, there was a tap dancer in the group. Like, there were lots of us that knew lots of different things about improvisation, but none of us did the same kind of dance necessarily as our form of improvisation. And so we started trying to figure out a way to improvise together, and we developed this thing that we eventually started calling Technology the Circle. So Mikey is gonna come up and I'm gonna show you like kind of the beginning of how it would work. Can you all hear me if I put the mic down? Yeah. Okay, so let's say right now Mikey's gonna be the focal point and he's just standing there, he doesn't have to do anything. And I am orienting myself around his body and then I decide that there's something that I'm interested in looking at. And so the idea is that I can um, decide to zoom in on that and take a closer look or I can decide to zoom out. I can decide to rotate around and see it from a different angle. Let's say I'm looking at his nose. And I'm appreciating a lot about it. The shadow on his nose, the light, the various colors on the skin, right? The shape of it. I might want to change my position so that I can see it from a different perspective. And then I might want to change the part of the body that I'm looking at, right? And rotate, and we use like camera, like a like a film, like, some, uh, like someone who is making choices, cinematic choices, like where to zoom in on a particular part of the body and then to change an angle. And so if you can imagine like a group of nine of us all making those choices simultaneously and then Mikey might decide he's tired of being the focal point and he might make me the focal point. And then he starts circling around me. Go for it. And then I might start saying, well, I'm not just gonna stand and be, right? So I start to offer him different planes to notice me in. And I can start to be a problem for the group, right? We would have people in the center that would decide to run out of the studio and thank you. Um, <clears throat> and that, that became like a, a round of scores. That first one, which was just about the eye, and there were a lot of things that fed into that. It was about you know, one breaker going into the center of a circle or one house dancer in a club. It was also about like somatic technique and Bartinioff fundamentals and the way you watch your finger as it traces around on the floor, right? And the way that con eye contact with your own body helps your brain understand proprioceptively where you are. And so that idea of the brain understanding and orienting itself in space expanded for me to, into this idea of how we improvise in communities that improvise in circles and how we track where we are as a group 
using the person as a focal point in the center the way we use our center in our body and our fingers trailing the floor on the outside. Does that make sense? And so that first exploration, technology of the circle, was body in relationship to body and how I can explore my motion in relationship to how my body position relates to another body's body position and how we form ourselves into energetic beings based on the position of the focal point. And that started, I mean, we made a bunch of pieces using technology as circle. And like a group could go on stage and do a 20 minute piece and on a concert stage and people would think that it was composed. And it was kind of, but it was composed because the circle understood itself, if that makes sense. It developed into a performance improvisation called The Being, where there were three of us that became like a collective consciousness. And we could have conversations with people in one voice. We could walk down the street, we could cook a meal as one integrated thing because we started to be able to like process our six hands and our six feet and our three heads as part of one being. So that was the first piece. And then the next one was called Project Tool, and there's a lot of stuff online about that. Like there's a lot of video clips and all kinds of stuff. And in that one, I started thinking about the relationship of a body, like how my body and my voice now is relating to this microphone. And my brain is starting to map onto it and make it a part of my body. I'm starting to think of it as a prosthetic. It's, it extends my it extends my arm, it adds to the weight of my right hand. When I shift, my body shifts, my brain shifts an understanding and a mapping of how long I am and what I can do with this hand as opposed to that hand. Um, and I started feeling like we as dancers, well, you know, I definitely feel like we are super beings. And all this work that we do in here is not just for performance, it's about extending the capacity of what a human is um, and what this brain, body, blood, sinew, nerve, emotion, um, technology can do and can be. And so I started to be really interested in how um, holding a hammer, your body becomes this other thing, holding a saw, your body, shifts and your brain starts to understand yourself almost in a robotic way as something that's extended. Not to talk about what happens when you pick up a cell phone and you can reach across the world, what happens to your voice, what happens to your networks. How, you know, In the technology of the circle, I could become a, a nine-bodied being. But with a tool, a piece of technology in your hand, you can become, what are all these monsters, machines, um, majestic beings that we can become through, the, through extension. And so I got together with a group of dancers and we hooked up with a carpenter and um, learned how to make dance floors as a, as a process of learning how to dance with tools. So we were dancers, we were not carpenters. 
but we would come together for rehearsal for the piece and we would work on carpentry for like the first two hours of the rehearsal. And we, and we didn't use like electric tools. <laughs> we, we used like saws and hammers and nails and old school. And I, and I did that purposely, used old school, what I call legacy tools, like the same kind of tools that my grandfathers used, both of whom happened to be carpenters. One in West Africa, amongst the Igbo of southeastern Nigeria, and one in the Mennonites of northern Ohio that were that came like a couple generations from Germany. Both sides were carpenters. And uh, I used some of the same, like a hand drill that you would rotate like this to make, to bore a hole into wood. We used some of those same tools and it is not easy, for instance, to saw a straight line. It takes incredible technique. Um, and I, you know, I rolled the dice and I figured dancers can learn it. We'll, we can figure it out. <laughs> I might have been a little bit, you know, might have been a little bit of bravado, but, but we did build a bunch of sprung wood dance floors. They were hexagonal shaped sprung wood dance floors that exist still in the city of Chicago, and there's a lot more information about that online. But that second piece was about body and dance as a way of understanding how the body can be extended by tools, mostly handheld tools, but the implication was a lot of things like can we build our own platforms? How, how does dance empower us? How do we build infrastructure for ourselves? Um, how do we deal with a society that seems to be crumbling? What, what would we do if that was during the George Floyd era? And some of it for me was also like, as a black woman and a mother of young children, a young son in particular, who was coming home from school and watching videos of young black men being gunned down by the protectors of, the, of our civil environment, I needed to be physically doing something. For me, protesting wasn't, wasn't the thing. I needed to be physically doing something that gave my body the feedback that if all else failed, I could shelter my kid. I needed to be physically engaged in some kind of practice that let me know that if this is not gonna protect us, we can figure it out. We can protect ourselves. And the smartest thing that I have is my ability to dance. And so I put it to work learning how to use a saw. Does that make sense? I hope so. <laughs> um, and it was also an ancestor, I know that Rosie's here talking about doing ancestor work and it was also an ancestor piece because I studied West African dance for a lot of my career as a dancer, my student life as a dancer, and you know when, you, when you're in the modern world, in the Western world, you think of African dance and you see a lot of aesthetics, like you see African dancers with raffia and you know, masks on and costumes and you get these stories of these like, this is a dance of possession or this is a dance to honor the gods or this is a dance, and I was like, well, I didn't grow up in a village, but I still need to reach my ancestors I have access to books on neurology and, you know, like, and, and in my mind I was like, well, neurology is now saying that we have the ability, epigenetics gives us the ability to stimulate memories that came from our ancestors. Like, you can have experience that stimulate emotion, that stimulate strength, that stimulate trauma, that stimulate all kinds of things that actually come to you genetically. 
that, that, that neuroscience is actually showing evidence of that now. So I was like, I'm a dancer, and movement makes the brain work. Movement is first. Movement actually builds your brain in the womb. It, it, it makes you who you are, literally. So I was like, huh, African dancers used movement to connect to answer. And a lot of times, they would be doing those dances with tools in their hands. So I was like, oh, so if I learn how to build a dance floor using the same tools that my grandfathers used, maybe I'll open the part of my brain that can directly communicate with my ancestors. So I made like a contemporary dance, but it was also a practice of ancestral communication that my Western trained brain also could rationalize through my Google searches into neurology. <laughs> you know? So those were the first two. Yeah, and then, and this piece is sort of, is using methodology from, from both of those, right? Into, into kind of taking this next step into working with the video and the technology and the place, right? The place and the, the building. Buildings, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not, sh I'm not, uh, I'm so pre-verbal on the method. Like, I don't know what we're doing yet. We've had one rehearsal, so I'm not as, <laughs> I'm not as terrified as I was yesterday. I was like, how am I gonna talk about it? I don't know how, what to say. But um, I went in, in 2000 and something in the before time, it was like 2014 maybe? 2000, I went to, um, I, went, I took my baby, the youngest, he was like seven years old, on a trip to Savannah, Georgia. Um, and we did a bunch of beach stuff, and then we went on a, uh, a tour of Savannah that was given to us by a local black history professor that taught in, at Georgia State. Or, um, and he took us through all of these sites in Savannah, the first um, African Baptist Church, the very first building built in the United States by enslaved Africans and freed Africans who worked at night after they got off work all day in the brick plantations of Savannah and they would get bricks. They would be allowed to take some bricks and they built brick by brick this beautiful church that still stands in Savannah. And they imported wood from West Africa to build, to build the altar out of like sacred wood and there's all of these symbols etched into the building all over the place and that, it's incredible. It's an incredible space. And one of the spaces that he took us was two roads off the water in Savannah, a street, an old, uh, one of the first streets in the United States called Factors Walk. Factors is a way of referring to the goods and commodities that come off ships. And Factors Walk is the second street off the water. And Factors Walk is right up against a hill, an or an embankment, I think is what they call them. And dug into this hill are these long, narrow rooms that were also bricked on the inside. And between those rooms are these arched doorways. There's about five of them. And they have arched doorways in the front and windows. And all the way in the back, there's like a chimney up to the top where you can see the grass, you can see the sky, you can see the grass in the back, kind of like air vents in the back of these long rooms. And as soon as I walked into this building, the hair on my arms stood up 
And my body was like, I know this building. I, I know this building. I, I, under, I feel and know this building. I've, and it wasn't like I had ever been in that building before, but my dancer body like responded. The way that you know you walk into a, if you've taken ballet classes your whole life, you walk into a studio and you're like, hmm, like you feel your body falls into a certain kind of alignment. And I had been, several years before that, I had spent six months in Dakar, Senegal, when I was dancing at Kaifek. And I had visited what they call in Senegal the door of no return, which are these buildings right on the water where captured Africans would be held right before they would go onto the ships. So I walked into this building and I was like, oh, I know this architecture, I know this shape, I know this feeling, there's something that happened to my body. And so that was actually, that moment was the impetus for space carcasses, where I was like, oh, I can do, my body can do that too. I can, my body can feel your body and track you through space. My body can feel this tool and map onto it as an extension of who I am. And my body can feel this building. I can wear this building. I am wearing this building. <clears throat> and so, yeah, then I, since then I've just been reading a bunch of like architectural theory and, and like, lo and behold, it's actually a real thing. And they, you know, they're, they're writing, you know, the neurologists are writing about it and architects are writing about it. And our brains do map onto a body like an exoskeleton of an insect and we feel, and, and usually it doesn't come to, you usually don't get that feeling that I got until something dramatic happens, like that connection that I had. Or if you were, let's say, in a building and a hurricane or a blizzard started rattling that building from the outside and you started feeling the reality of its vulnerability, then you would be awakened to the fact that, oh, this is, that's my outer skin. <laughs> That's my exoskeleton. That's the thing that actually protects this soft, vulnerable inner being that I am that's wearing this building. And so that's the next, that's, the, that's whatever this is going to be. It has something to do with that. Like, um, and, it, and then lots of different, uh, lots of different other things come up, like with Project Tool, where I was like, oh, we can build our own platforms. And, and you know, it had to do with lots of different things, ancestors and politics and, you know, because I think that right now a lot of us have questions about this society we made and whether it's working and how much power do we have, how much control, is it for us or is it just kind of like serving its own ends? Like, do we still need these buildings in the way that they're built? All the history that they hold, like, does it really matter that the Constitution was written with certain words? Like, shouldn't we maybe take down some of those walls and build new ones or maybe not have walls, you know? I think that all of those questions are, will hopefully be able to be moved through our bodies as we go through it. And how, so having this, having this research, having this experience in Savannah and echoing it back um, to Senegal, how do you go about taking those those pieces and knowing that you wanted to work with you know the, the video artist who you're working with as mm -hmm. well? How do you start meshing it together? What do you, what do you do this week while you're here? How do you where do you start? Yeah, 
Um, I like to put the body first. I, I, um, we're working with a ton of technology, for sure. We're going to do video mapping and 3D mapping and maybe 3D or 4D sound. And um, we're going to make videos of buildings and project them on other buildings. We're going to do lots of technology. But what we're here to do now, which is kind of the beginning of it, is sound and body. Um, and to develop, a, and as you can see, like I said, Mikey is a nerd <laughs> of a dancer um, and a very much a technician. When I, technicians in the way we are, like a technician of the physics of the body. And we're going to figure out how to dance in the corner of a building using the three planes, floor, wall, wall. And how to, how to dance with those three planes and the contact with the, that our bodies can make and with those three planes. We're going to figure out how to, what the, what, what's the, what did you call it? Like, what's the, um, what are the modes and the, components, like a, like a dance has steps. What are the, what are the various like vibes? Like, like in the dances that we do, like in African dance, you have all these different dances that basically just have like a feel, and then you have a bunch of different steps inside that feel. Or house music has a certain feel, and you have a bunch of different steps. Or breaking has like a funk feel. So the feel here is kind of defined by those three planes of space. And then we have to figure out all the different kinds of dances and the steps and the techniques of being with that building in as many ways as possible and what it can teach us and um, how we can impact it. Um, I want to open it up now. I know it's, a, it's a, a lot of ideas to chew on, but um, are there any questions so far about any of these projects that Monet's been talking about or the process that they're in this week? And a reminder, you can keep kind of, if you want to check in on the website, azuzudances.com, you can see some of these images and source materials. Um, yes, David. Hey, this is fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Here, I'm going to believe this. I was just wondering if you gave the corner right away. It, it has a lot of connotations already, but I don't even know what your connotations are, or if it was, well, maybe we'll do the wall or the ceiling or whatever, and then you got the corner, and will there be other places? Uh, it sounds like for this dance, it's the corner, or certainly here at base, but I just wondered about that, that selection. <laughs> um, that, that, the corner came up um, because I, I, wanted, I wanted to bring the two buildings together. Like, I, I think I wanted to test my theory, the feeling that I had that the building in Senegal and the building in Savannah were the same somehow. And so I, I, I'd been already familiar with the filmmaker that's going to be working with us is a guy by the name of Simon Ruby, from, who's a Paris-based filmmaker. And he works with a partner native, um, Makari. And they already, Native is a visual artist who was a tag artist, a New York tag artist for a while. He lived in New York. So he, they both engage with buildings already. And some of the work that they do has to do with video mapping. So they map an image. They, they were doing mapping. They would take a video image of a building in the daytime and then map the exact image onto the same building at night so it would glow in the night sky. They did an incredible piece called Blackout where they 
mopped the Villa de Medici out of the night sky um, because they projected it in the light and then projected a mop, a, a janitor mopping with black paint. So I, I already had that idea in my mind of being able to take an image of the building in Senegal and map it onto the building in Savannah. And when I thought about, well, what would you, your coordinates be? How would, you, how would you fit them together? It would be at the corner. And the corner would also be the place where if I videotaped a dancer dancing with their hand on those three planes, that I could bring them across the, you know, I could put them in another building or in another space because that would be, it, 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 it became like coordinates, some kind of coordinate. Um, so that's why we chose to locate our dance. But yeah, then it brings up lots of other stuff like the cornerstone and um, there's a West African deity that sits in the corner, Eshua Legba, that sits in the corner that deals with the energy of the crossroads, which has like a divine question of like the questions of good and evil, right and wrong, directionality, where are you going, why are you doing what you're doing, um, lots and lots of implications at being in a corner. Thanks for that question. It's been like a pleasant challenge, too, because it turns out there are a lot of corners uh, that you can dance in. You know, there's architecture, there's windows, there's uh, heating elements, there's radiators, there's, it's just uh, been kind of wild. Take a look next time you're in a room to see if any corners danceable. I'm definitely body first all the time. I like to, I like to put body before words. I, um, I get nervous if I spend too, I don't like, I have to get help. Let me not say that I don't like. Grant writing is important. Start as early as possible <laughs> and get help, get help. Like maybe you write your friend's grants and they write your grants so that and this is just me, and throw it out if it doesn't make sense to you, but for me, I don't like words to pollute my body. If my body doesn't know it yet, I don't want the words to have too much power. It's part of the reason that we're here dancing, and Ben is here with us, because for me as an African dancer, like music and dance are really the same thing, but I'm purposely here working on the movement before the visual artists or the filmmakers or any of those like conceptual, before they get in it so that we know for sure what the body knows before any of that, like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, like, effect or that, you know, like, I wanna make sure that we know what the body wants and we choose the tools that help the body do that. And I don't mind saying, yeah, in this context, body is dominant. It doesn't have to be for everybody's project, but 
I'm not interested in technology for technology's sake. But my body is technology. My culture is technology already. African dancers were putting people into altered states of consciousness and seeing things far off into the stratosphere hundreds of years ago. I'm not, I'm not enamored of technology. From a, as a dancer, I'm like, what we do is you guys don't even understand it yet. <laughs> but, but I'm also not anti-technology. Sure, it can help. But I, but I, and, I, and I have to be disciplined, because even in my answer to David's question, you could see that the technology did lead me to the corner, but it was a problem that I was solving from the perspective of what I wanted to do with the body. I wanted to put the body, I wanted to be able to time, space, travel the body. And so using the capacity of the film to map into the corner was a tool that I hope was serving, right? But it did lead me to the, to the exploration in the corner. But it's something that I have to like slow down a lot and make sure, like, why? Like, I have, to, I have to ask myself that question that you so are clearly articulated, like, where is my why? I have to ask myself that over and over again to make sure I'm not getting, like, led around by something shiny. Um, so I was wondering if, like, during this project or just any project you've done, um, have you ever had to scrap an idea or have you always, like, No, it totally makes sense. I'm just listening. Is my memory good enough? Um, one thing that I feel like I developed when I, when I, when everything was just in the body, when I was just like making movement in the studio, is I learned to know when I, when it was coming. This is a real a weird word, but like. When the movement was flow, when I was in a flow state, that's a neurology, ne neurological state. Um, when I was in a flow state and, and it, you could feel the movement just flowing out of you. And then when I would start trying, I could tell the difference between flowing and trying. And when I would feel my body start to try, I would stop. I'd be like, oh, it's over. Even if there was 20 minutes left in rehearsal, I'd be like, okay, we can just, you know, we can keep working on this stuff, or we could leave early, or we could just like get a drink and sit down and just talk shit. I'm sorry, I, I curse a lot, but um, you know, but I, I learned to like, again, for me, it's always been really physical. Like I trust my, when my body says, ah, when I get that feeling of like, I'm efforting, I'm making effort. Somatic classes are really good. Like they teach you like, stop muscling it. Shona will teach you that. Stop muscling it. And those, those lessons that I got from my dance teachers are really powerful for me learning how to control myself psychologically, recognize, build awareness for the creative process. Because the body will tell you when you're making shit up or when you're letting something that has real meaning flow through you. There's a different feeling to it. So I don't know if that helps. So I feel like, yes, I would, as soon as I start to feel like something is fake, yeah, I scrap it immediately. Immediately. I really appreciate hearing about 
the process and the practice, especially this interest in like technology, not just being digital, but analog and the hands and the body, and this connection to spirit that's really very palatable. This is a whole journey that we find fascinating. How do you communicate that to your performers, your collaborators, especially when they're coming from different movement aesthetics and sensibilities? Uh, do you stick with the body, or is there a conversation around spirit that gets talked about in the process, or is it, how does that get navigated um, in conversation with your collaborators? I point it. I pointed at you because I wonder if you, if, is that something that makes sense to you? I mean, Mikey, you, Mikey, Mikey and I are reconnecting after 14 years, so that may not be fair for me to put you on the spot, but there you go. <laughs> well, so Onye and I will get together and move together, and then when we feel tired, we'll take a break together, and then we'll go eat together and talk about, like, talk about the dreams that she's having and the visions that she's having that have made the piece, like, that have been the impetus for the piece. So I think, I like that it's a chill vibe because it doesn't feel like it's, it's rushed and we do have some, we do have some time with this piece. So it's mostly the hanging out and the talking that helped me to really understand what's going on for her and then I can uh, be creative in the space as well too, so I think this combination of moving together and hanging out and talking and having a good time, so. Yeah. No, most definitely, I agree with It's all about, uh, you know, most of the sound I do, most of the interaction I do with the sound is just, uh, just trusting someone and listening and seeing, uh, especially with movement, only to remind me that I had about because with my with working with sound, I, I was always about the extension of this, this tool. And so realizing that what makes the, the tool wants to be alive in my body is what makes it alive. And with trust and, and, and listening and hanging and friendship, you know, um, just listening to someone and, and reacting, that's what makes that concept alive. So it's really just Yeah, the the good hang I think is important. I mean, and and then you can trace all those as as high and as conceptually elevated as you want to get. You can trace it all the way up, but it, I think it comes down to that. Like West African music is polyrhythmic, lots of sounds at once, complicated sounds, simple sounds, all happening at the same time in conversation with each other. Call and response is happening all the time. I speak, you respond. I offer food, you eat, you say thank you, we laugh, you know. And all of those are part of the building of the network of, of interactions that build up into um, family, community, generations, birth, death, ancestral realms, music that calls on the ancestors, Earth, elements of Earth that become higher order. And so I think that all of those elements, you just trust it. And for me, really as a dancer, I feel like dance is my entry point. 
So we talk about the dance. I'm not afraid to be super technical about it because I think that the sacred geometry of the body has all the messages, all the information we need to understand the highest order of existence as well as the most simple. It's all embedded. And so if it happens, I trust it. And sometimes it can be really, really simple, if that makes sense. Like the day that, the day that we were working in Project Tool and our teacher who was, our teacher was this, this white guy in Chicago that was known for like building stuff that particularly dance or performance art needed. He, was, he had a lot of carpentry skills and, and they were like, oh, well, you should talk to, you know, you should talk to this so-and-so. He can help you like learn how to build floors. And so I like arranged to have lunch with him and we sat down and talked and I was talking about my two grandfathers and the one from Africa and the one from Ohio that was a Mennonite and his face got beat red and he got tears in his eyes. And he was like, I'm a Mennonite. <laughs> he was part of a Mennonite group that had moved to the city of Chicago like two generations ago and they lived up in the north side of the city in this like artistic commune. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You can't make shit like that up. <laughs> you know? And so the tools that he gave me were old tools from my people's tradition. Specifically, when I posted the hand-cranked drill on my Facebook page, my uncle said, I still have your grandfathers exactly like that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You just like tell stories like that. I mean, you have moments like that in rehearsal and people are like, well, damn, all right then, ancestors, let's do it, <laughs> you know. was a lot. I don't, I don't know if I agree that all performance is ritual, but in a manner of speaking, for sure. Like brushing your teeth is ritual. I used to do, I used to do a study when I taught intermediate composition in a, in a college environment where we would ask ourselves that question, what's habit and what is ritual? And we would start off with habit, like shaving your legs or brushing your teeth. You know, we would start off with those things that you do every day that you repeat um, that are part of what, like, personal ritual. Is it personal ritual or is it just oral hygiene? You know, like, what's the... Um, so, I, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm trying to work my way to your question. What do I do in my, to prepare myself to make rituals? This question is making me emotional because whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, I have not been doing it. I feel so ashamed of myself. I feel bad because 
But, it, but I think that's part of it. I'm changing. I'm getting older. I'm changing. There was a pandemic. A lot of crazy shit is happening. I haven't been in my body for a long time. Coming back here feels like coming back to like this land is like get your ass on the dance floor. Um, because it would have been like if you had asked me that question four years ago or five years ago, I would have been like, I'm on the mat at 5 a.m. every day. Like I, I train my body. But the body goes through cycles and it changes. And so of late, like in this transition we've all been in, I've floated away from that daily practice or that daily rich personal ritual. And um, I mean, not completely. Like I have kind of like a, I feel like I'm floating up off the ground and I have like a finger still like, ah. Um, I don't know right now. I'm making this piece to find it again. Because I think our last question, unless there's going to be a burning desire after. She has a question. Yes, no, I see. Oh, yeah, I see. Oh, okay. I don't know. We may be questioning that. But like, that just stirred all of this stuff after hearing you talk all this time. I've been hearing you talk about that preparation the whole time. Like, gathering up your people, going back to your person after 14, it's making me emotional, going back to your person after 14 years, asking these questions about noticing what happens to your skin. Like, all of that stuff feels like how you prepare for the ritual, and yes, getting to the mat is one of them. I don't know if the ritual is always about dailyness, yeah. although sometimes it is. Sometimes it's about, like, that long trajectory of, like, going back to get your stuff and your people and your time and a meal together like that. Yeah. Oh, thank you for saving me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. And last question. There's always a burning one. Great. So I'm super interested in this kind of ancestral process that you <laughs> I feel like that type of, for me, um, yeah, I've, I've never been one of those people that was into the super dramatic, like, I have a message from the ancestors and they have decreed, you know, like that, that kind of stuff feels like Hollywood to me. Um, Betsy and I were just talking about this showing that I did last time I was here. I was working with a collaborator of mine named Kudu Sonikeku, and we did this, we did this improvised performance, and it had a lot of very pre-verbal elements on it, and he's a very powerful spiritual being himself, and I was in this very primordial inner space, and he came on stage and did all of this, like, 
conjuring, calling, like, like really growly, like um, um, fire, like fire from under the ground kind of energy movement cultivated in the space. And I was like really deeply like Buto internal for a long time. And at the very end of the piece, he touched me and I just went, something came out of my body like, I was like, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to. I kept saying over and over again, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And it just like took over my body, this sound and this repetition. And we had a lot of different reactions to the performance. It was, a lot of people were scared, they were angry, they felt like he had done something to me. It was complicated, it was a very complicated performance. And I didn't understand fully why I said that phrase, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. Um, But then events happened in my family over the next year. I ended up accepting a job in Florida. I never thought I would leave, I didn't think I was gonna leave Chicago that early. But I just had a feeling, my dad was planning to move to Maryland, he was gonna move away. And I, something in me was like, my dad is not gonna move to the snow, he's not gonna do that. But he was doing it, they had packed up their house, they were going. But some, I was just like, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think that I just take this job and they can have like a spare bedroom in my house because my dad's gonna wanna be in the warmth. And I moved across the country. I didn't really know why I was doing it. And then it ended up that my dad needed me, like really needed me, like out of the blue. I had been in town. I had moved there within like a year of me moving there. He had a terminal diagnosis. My mom could not handle it. I had to move them out of their house into my house. Like, so it's not like that. It's not like a, it's not like a, it's not like a message. This is what you're supposed to do. I just feel like, just like you go to your ballet class and you do those tandus every day so that you're in position. I, I was in position and I was there when he needed me as he exited the world. And I look back on it and I, and I think about myself saying, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And I was like, oh yeah. I could feel that that was coming and I didn't want to do it. But I went through that like resistance to doing it before it happened. And then when it happened, I just did what I needed to do. You know what I'm saying? That's a very personal question. I gave you a very personal answer. And I, and I feel like you understand those things. I don't understand what they say a lot of times until after I do what I'm supposed to. director is Shoshona Courier. The director of training programs is Allie James. Sound recording and editing by me, Lindsay LaPointe. For more information about the festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org.